I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka Sounds of Science. Today I am joined by two innovators who are working in the same issue from different angles. How to design and manufacture drugs quickly, easily, and most importantly, safely. Ian Wiley, Director of Operations for Charles River's Right Source Testing Platform, and Jesse McCool, co-founder and CEO of Wheeler Bio. Right Source offers basically a lab in a box that can be adapted to run for all kinds of quality control needs. Wheeler Bio specializes in small batch production of biologics and GMP grade reagents with their open source platform, Portable CMC. Both platforms aim to make drug production more accessible while maintaining high standards of safety and efficacy. Welcome, Jesse and Ian. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Mary. Glad to have you both here. So let's start with Ian. Can you tell me a bit about your background and give me the elevator pitch for RightSource? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is actually more on the business and economic side. Um, I studied at college in Boston, mostly focused on economics, and uh, started my own company coming out of school a small game company. Since then, I actually landed at Charles River, working on our mergers and acquisitions team, then in our safety assessment business. And that's been for about the past five years and then moved into biologics two years ago to start off RightSource. Now, the easiest way to explain what RightSource is, is that it's Charles River biologics testing, Mm -hmm. outsourced, but at your doorstep. So we take everything that you typically find at one of our outsourced labs, and bring it right next to the manufacturing floor for our clients. So what this does is it basically allows the client to have the best of both worlds from both both an in-source and outsource perspective. They get everything they would get if they sent their sample out, the depth of scientific experience, the existing SOPs, quality system methods on site, they would have gotten outsourced while having a dedicated team as if they'd hired their own QC lab. That makes sense. So you're basically packaging up Charles River employees and equipment and dropping them off at a client's location. Yes, exactly. And the biggest piece I think that differentiates us is that it includes the quality component where it really allows the client to focus on their manufacturing piece and know that the quality control is taken care of. You know, if for some reason something did go wrong, Charles River is the one on the hook, not them. And that just provides that reassurance of putting you know, really putting ourselves out there and putting our name on the line to show that we're willing to commit to this. Same question for Jesse. How did you get involved in the industry and what is Wheeler about in a nutshell? Okay, thanks, Mary. Um, well, I've got I've gotten in, got involved 20 years ago, essentially. Um, I'm a scientist by training. I did my uh, PhD in microbiology at the University of Massachusetts and then went on to a postdoc at Dartmouth and, and then from there jumped into um, industry. And what I have found, you know, over the years, I was the CEO at another CDMO. There's there's a lot of venture-backed biotechs out, out there that that really need a lot of support during the translational stage of their company, moving from bench to bedside for the very first time. It's a really dicey time. I met an investor in Oklahoma City who was getting involved in life science and was basically starting a venture studio. And so one of the three things that venture-backed biotechs need to get to the clinic, it's access to capital, it's access to clinical trials, you know, sites and patients, and then it's uh, CMC. And so uh, we put our heads together and, you know, reached out to some 
our, some of our network on the, on the coasts and really, you know, put together an interesting model that's a lot different. And it's, it's really basically a CDMO inside of a venture studio. And so there's this sort of a network effect that happens with our customers. They, you know, they come to talk to Wheeler about doing small batch manufacturing, but we can also make some introductions to venture folks and, you know, maybe help them get connected to sources of capital. And then we can walk them down the street to Stevenson Cancer Center, which is an NCI designated cancer center. So we have this little ecosystem happening in uh, Oklahoma City. And so that's where really what Wheeler is doing. It's, it's laser focused on large molecule therapeutics. We're partnered with coastal discovery CROs in a really unique way and really just providing a turnkey solution for venture-backed biotechs to have access to a really high-quality, well-characterized, phase-appropriate platform that gets them to first in human. And the fact that we can partner with Charles River on the QC side just makes it infinitely easier for us to focus on delivering high-quality drug substance services. And then Charles River can be right there with us right down the hall, literally, so that they can do the QC testing. Jesse, could you describe the portable CMC? Like, what, is, what does that mean? And what does it mean for it to be open source? A portable CMC is our platform for MAB's drug substance process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a standard CMC development workflow that gets you from four lead molecules into a tech transfer document. You can take that tech transfer document to any CDMO in the world to do your scale up and your manufacturing. How would each of you describe your approach to drug accessibility versus drug safety? How do you balance those two? What do you think, Ian? Sure. I mean, so I think to start off with, we always have to lead with safety and quality. There's no point in making a drug more accessible if it's not safe or people can't have confidence in that drug product or drug substance. Like our whole model, right, is creating a scalable model that we can replicate uh, over and over again which does make it more accessible. So we have the weight of Charles River quality behind us and the expertise that entails to be able to design these programs, but by being able to replicate it multiple times. So obviously we have the lab at Wheeler, we have another lab going in in London, and we have some other labs in the pipeline. All of those labs utilizing the same scalable platform allows that cost to be spread out over multiple groups. So every time we spend investing into that model, making it safer by building in more quality by design, more tech infrastructure that makes mistakes less possible to happen, right? All of that builds in the quality, which then builds in the safety of that potential drug product, drug substance. But by doing it in a scalable way, that drives accessibility. Yeah. What do you think, Jesse? How does Wheeler Bio balance accessibility and safety for drug manufacturing? So safety is definitely top of mind. Uh, quality is a given mm-hmm. these days. CDMOs have to deliver quality product. We've intentionally designed our facility, our operations, our quality system to be phase appropriate for, for early clinical phase. And, mm-hmm. But phase appropriate is it's what's appropriate, what is reasonable, what's feasible for the manufacturer of drug substance and products for, for the use in human clinical trials at each phase of clinical development. And so we are intentionally focused on serving the needs of venture-backed biotechs. Therefore, we're not 
offering commercial manufacturing capabilities or costs to these customers. We're, we're giving them an option and access to something that's very appropriate for what they need just to get to first and human. Somewhat recently, there was a news story about contaminated eye drops harming patients. As of this recording, we don't really know details, but Ian, can you tell me how stories like this reaffirm the importance of quality control? Yeah, absolutely. So with quality control, it's some of those things that can be very easy for us to take for granted, especially because you know, biomanufacturing has been around for a fair amount of time now. So we've got pretty good processes in place. And thankfully, you know, these types of things happen more rarely than they might have used to. But when stuff like this does happen, it brings back to the forefront why we do this, right? On the off chance that something were to get contaminated, we'd be there to catch it. And it kind of goes back to your earlier question around accessibility. You know, we do want to keep getting drugs out to patients more cheaply so they can afford it, so they can get the life-saving treatments that they've been looking for and the reason that everyone's here developing them in the first place. Mm-hmm. But like we said earlier, we don't want to do that at the risk of patient safety. And, you know, I think a lot of people, speak for myself especially, like you go into a pharmacy, whether it's just some like a sterile product like an eye drop, or you go to the pharmacy counter to pick up a prescription, we just assume that that's going to be safe, that when we put that into our body, nothing bad is going to happen outside of maybe some side effects that are listed or the intended effect. So again, oftentimes you're proving a negative that nothing bad happened, but it can be something that's easy to take for granted because over and over again, you're proving a negative that didn't happen. Yeah, that's a good point. Jesse, one of the things you brought up when we were talking earlier was the importance of geographic flexibility in manufacturing. And, you know, we want treatments to be available to patients everywhere, even if local infrastructure is underdeveloped. So can you talk about how Wheeler can approach this issue? Yeah, I mean, in the in the short term, you know, we're, we're starting up a new business and mm-hmm. uh, there's in the United States, it's fairly easy to, you know, contract with a manufacturer, you know, in any zip code. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit early for, for me to sort of comment too much on plans in the future, but the spirit of portable CMC actually refers a little bit to our our desire to democratize access to manufacturing technology. We are intentionally leaving portable CMC as a transparent you know process. So when we, when customers come to Wheeler, they actually get access to all of their batch records, all of the data that has factored into the bioprocess models. This is important for their IND filings, for mm-hmm. talking to the FDA and, and presenting sort of the cell line history, the cell, the process history, why certain process parameter ranges are are set with a certain range. What's the data that sort of backs that up? And, and in essence, like all of that is open source. And our desire is to deploy portable CMC to, you know, multiple locations. And so we are in discussions with other partners, even in different countries about Mm -hmm. finding ways to tech transfer our platform. I love that. I love that approach to science as, you know, a collaborative process beyond, you know, economic considerations. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, and I also make sense that you'd want to really fine tune small batch processes because there are, as we Charles River know very well, there's a lot of rare and orphan diseases out there that don't affect, you know, millions of people, but would greatly improve the lives of, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people when you add up all the rare diseases together. 
So I, I do, I, re- I really like that approach. Yeah, that's right. I, I think one of the benefits of, you know, democratizing access to standard, well-characterized platform processes is it eventually, you know, if more companies do this, you're essentially lowering the cost of developing drugs early on. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's a two to three year process going from your lead molecule to your first in human trial. But of course, I, as I mentioned before, there's fundraising, there's tech transfers, mm-hmm. multiple vendors are involved. There's not really at that translational stage, there's not really one way to do it. Furthermore, there's just not a lot of information available about your molecule at that point in time. So developing sort of some specifications for early phase programs is very, very challenging. So the sooner you can get into the manufacturing process, really the better it is for everybody. What has the pandemic taught each of you about the importance of flexibility in the supply chain? Or are there any other lessons from the pandemic that you want to talk about? I think that the the biggest lesson learned from pandemic is that the FDA and the regulatory agency, as long as the science is there, they are open to alternative approaches that are, again, phase appropriate. I go Mm -hmm. back to that that term. FDA is very much in favor of of a risk-based approach for uh, development of pharmaceuticals. But it really, the onus is on the sponsor, the onus is on the manufacturer to bring that data and connect the dots for the FDA. The FDA is very, very open and other mm-hmm. regulatory agencies as well to new concepts. The agency is continuously publishing guidance mm-hmm. documents and getting feedback and change is slow, relatively speaking, which is not surprising when we're talking about you know, protecting the health and safety of patients. Mm -hmm. It's not that surprising, but I I think there was this inflection point post pandemic that there, there are um, new possibilities that might be more accelerated now and more, more positioned, I guess, better positioned for being more broadly adopted. Yeah, definitely. Uh, What do you think, Ian? Sure. I mean, I think we could probably have multiple podcasts on (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) But I do think one thing actually reminds me of a dinner conversation I had with Jesse and one of our colleagues one night was around focus. So I think when Mm. the pandemic hit, everyone's priorities aligned. It was Mm -hmm. very clear what needed to happen. Maybe it wasn't clear how we were going to get there, but it was very clear what had to happen. And that level of focus, along with what Jesse was talking about with the FDA being open to doing things, as long as the data was there and the science was there, allowed us to move so quickly. And I think we'll never have the level of focus and priority we did with the pandemic, and that's probably a good thing. But I do think it speaks to our business models, both of ours, that are around focus. I mean, Jesse is laser focused on the translational gap there, on that manufacturing process, whereas my team's laser focused on the quality control and how we make it more scalable. I think my team's probably sick of hearing me say it when every time we bring up a new piece of instrumentation, a new piece of data, a new method or SOP is, can we make it so that it is simpler? Can we make it so that when we add the 10th site, that it'll be easy to add that site? So we're always thinking about that with that focus, and that's allowing us to be good at what we're doing and eventually to move faster. 
Are there any bottlenecks in either of your work that you can't control? And do you have ideas for how to fix them? I can take that one to start. I guess so for me, one of the things that we're thinking about a lot right now is especially around computer system validation and automation. As we become more and more automated, there's more and more computer systems, there's more and more updates, things are running much more without input from a human. And there's a lot of power in that, but there's also a lot that needs to be managed and controlled and set up properly. Yeah, it's funny you should say that I do have a friend who doesn't trust robots at all. And mm-hmm. so I don't think she would want <laughs> everything to be automated in the future, but she doesn't work in pharma, so she probably doesn't need to worry well, about it. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that, right? Because there are, we deal with this all the time on change management and that there are groups that don't trust them as much, but the whole point of the computer system validation is to provide for that trust, is to mm-hmm. literally test the system, challenge the system, see if they can hold up to things going wrong and what does it do? Does it handle it properly? Does it flag it and challenge it? And a really well-validated process is very, very good. It's just making sure that that happens and that you have the resources in place to be able to do that. That's excellent. That's very logical. I'm going to argue back with her on that one. Thank you (laughs) for that argument point. How about you, Jesse? What do you think? What are some bottlenecks? There's three bottlenecks. One is data, uh, data management, Two mm-hmm. is uh, supply chain and making sure we have raw materials in place at the time we are starting a manufacturing run. And the third is analytical capacity, being able to plan for uh, testing capacity, testing resources. So the, I'll start with the last one. The last one we've solved with partnering with uh, Charles River and implementing right source on premises. Being able to have a QC testing partner that's focused on QC focused on solving for demand planning, specifically just for QC, we simply have to project our our needs to Charles River and then mm-hmm. they, they adjust the headcount, the resource planning. And so, you know, to some extent, I mean, the, the Charles River right source is solving probably our biggest bottleneck. Analytical is generally the biggest bottleneck in manufacturing, just takes a long time to test and release data. Going backwards from there, supply chain, since we're focused on MABs, we essentially take the same 60, 70 raw materials, convert them into drug drug substance. We can stage for our demand by having on-hand inventory of all, those, of, all of those raw materials and consumables mm-hmm. at point of use. The first thing I mentioned, data, I saw a talk uh, last fall, Michelle Lee from the U.S. Patent Trade Office, um, also at um, Amazon Web Services, <laughs> stated that companies use about 10% of their data in a, in a useful way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably even less for bio, for biotech and for biopharma. That's changing. There's a lot of pharma companies are really focused on data science, uh, machine learning, Mm -hmm. data and information management in in a new way and in really raising the the data science up to the the same level as other functional areas in the company so that there's a significant emphasis on how important data science is. Mm -hmm. And we've done that too. I mean, we've, our company started from back of a napkin and that was one of the main components when we thought about how we're going to organize ourselves. It's really want to invest in in data science. And so we actually have a dedicated department that just does data science. 
reporting up to manufacturing. We've partnered with Synthase. This is a London-based company that basically does create, creates middleware for uh, for laboratories, and they help you build a digital lab. So we've worked with them for the last two years to make sure we have as much digitalization embedded in our development labs because that's where it gets really expensive. Develop mm-hmm. you know, basically generating data points to feed into bioprocess modeling is very expensive. We just finished our 500th bioreactor campaign, and this generates a tremendous amount of data. We can actually have one scientist running 24 individual cell culture experiments because of the robotics that we have in place, coupled with the automation and the automatic data contextualization that we've got with the Synthase software. So we've been able to reduce our costs to generate data, and that has been a, a really purposeful investment we made, and it really has paid off because, you know, a year later, a year and a half later, we, you know, we have a really robust, well-characterized, you know, platform process for, for antibodies. That's great. I love, I love anything to do with machine learning, but speaking of robots, what do each of you see as the main concern for your industry in the next 10 years? Probably not robots, but. <laughs> I mean, I think for actually going on that train of thought that we talked through about on the computer systems aspect as well is managing that transition. I think as we get better and better at doing some of those uh, routine assays more digitally or more automated is also then managing the shift in skill set required to do that. So, and it's a big pivot. And I think there will be plenty of roles and jobs to be had to do that. And it's just making sure that as a company moving through that shift, that you can keep everyone engaged, keep everyone working towards the same goals and doing it in a way that is compliant and adds value to the clients. What about you, Jesse? What do you think Wheeler is going to be focused on in the next 10 years? Reducing the time to, to get to first in humans. That's really where we're focused. We want mm-hmm. to stay in this early clinical phase space and scale out and be able to accommodate um, a lot more venture-backed biotechs in antibody space. Uh, biopharma is, is going to be growing to 800 billion in the next seven, eight years as an end market. There's a lot coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a report somewhere that 70% of the discovery or clinical pipeline right now is made up of non-traditional antibodies. Yeah. So we have to be ready. And you know, early on, there's not a lot of, you can't walk away from your manufacturing facility. There's, there is a tremendous need for deeply trained and experienced talent. So we're going to struggle, I think, as an industry to keep up with the workforce development needs that, that are there. So we, we have some interesting projects around workforce training in, in our region of the country with the recent EDA award. We, we got a $35 million grant to build out biomanufacturing training in Oklahoma City. Excellent. And so there's, there's a lot coming, um, but there are opportunities to automate, opportunities to, to really reduce costs. Right now, it takes $2.6 billion in 12 years to get a drug to market, mm-hmm. and that's got to come down. There's no shortage of jobs for human beings, and there's, but there's also no shortage of roles for robots, automation, <laughs> AI, and uh, it, it's all, it all needs to be working sort of together and continuously improved you know, approaches. Yeah. 
it's a really great goal to be supporting these companies, especially in the early stages, because there's so many biotechs out there with really good ideas about how to treat a rare disease or an orphan disease or even better treatments for, you know, common diseases. It would be a shame for companies like that to not get to the next level because of something like funding. So that's an excellent goal to have. Thank you both so much for joining me. This has been a fantastic talk. I really appreciate both of your time. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary, for having us on.